episode 375, Medicare Advantage Plans in the Hot Seat. Today, I speak with Betsy Seals. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Medicare Advantage, otherwise known as the money machine, is often the most profitable parts of many payers' business lines. Medicare Advantage plans can make a lot of cash if they are good at what they do. Look at any of these large consolidated carriers' financial statements to get the magnitude of that statement. Also in 2022, Medicare Advantage plans have enrolled 28 million participants between them, which represents 45% of all Medicare beneficiaries. This marks a three-point improvement in penetration over 2021 and a total program enrollment growth of 9%. All of this is not a secret. So what's happening right now is that this administration is looking carefully at Medicare Advantage plans and what they have been up to. We have had an amping up of government oversight, including regulatory actions and program audits. Today, I am speaking with Betsy Seals, who is CEO and co-founder of Rebellus Group, which is a managed care consulting firm working with Medicare Advantage plans. Betsy says, and this is what we talk about in the interview today, but she says that there's three main areas that the government is currently scrutinizing. First area, sales and marketing. There have been these third parties, it seems, these field marketing organizations who were hired to do marketing and sales for some of the Medicare Advantage plans. And because they were third parties, it seems that many of them felt themselves to be excluded from CMS regulations and able to basically mislead prospective members with sales pitches that were highly suspect. Betsy gives some examples of these, and when you hear them, you will see why CMS is cracking down. Here's number two area of government oversight. Recouping improper payments is another area that CMS is all over. Interestingly, as Betsy Seal says in this interview, this might be one area where the government is actually ahead of private sector plans from a technology and analytics standpoint. CMS seems to have better analytics capabilities and is better at detecting fraud schemes and improper payments than the plans themselves. These plans are not sophisticated enough to notice stuff that CMS detects when it gets a hold of the plan data. But as unusual as this situation is, where the government is ahead of the business sector, I can't say I'm shocked. We have had one guest on the show after another talking about just how far in the past some of these health plans are lagging. Dan O'Neill probably said it most eloquently and notably that is episode 359, but I digress. So recouping improper payments has the eye of CMS. This means two things largely. It means finding outlier codes that some MA plan paid for, but which are clearly errors and should not have been paid. Another improper payment is when plans themselves do a little fancy upcoding so that they make more money than they should in their risk adjustment payments. This has gotten some major attention lately. Let me quote from an OIG report, link in the show notes. Here's the quote. Our findings raise concerns about the extent which certain MA companies may have inappropriately leveraged both chart reviews and HRAs, health risk assessments, 
to maximize risk adjustment payments. We found that 20 of the 162 MA companies drove a disproportionate share of the $9.2 billion in payments from diagnoses that were reported only on chart reviews and HRAs and are on no other service records. The sneaky idea here to get more money than they should from taxpayers is that someone somewhere puts down that a member has major depressive disease because someone somewhere said they did, but the patient clearly doesn't have major depressive disease because they aren't getting any treatment for it and nothing anywhere would indicate that they are suffering from a major depressive disease. So the plan winds up getting more money from the government to care for a patient who is suffering from major depressive disease, but the patient doesn't require any additional care because they don't have major depressive disease. It's a great way to make some dollars for shareholders that is coming right out of the pockets of taxpayers. So in sum, the number two area of additional oversight is recouping improper payments, either from paying claims that should not have been paid for or by wild upcoding. Here's the number three area of oversight. And this is just kind of like the general sort of compliance oversight that CMS does, meaning grievances and appeals and formulary administration and models of care for SNP plans, compliance program effectiveness, normal stuff like this, which will be interesting given all of the articles coming out right now about how patients on Medicare Advantage plans are like less likely to get more costly diabetes treatments and how often there's denials for cancer care or NCI cancer centers aren't covered, etc. One point here that's kind of thought-provoking on a few levels, if you're an MA plan, it is super important for you to get members in for their annual screenings. For one, CMS requires that you document diagnoses each year, and you need to do this to reduce the chances that CMS will question a treatment being paid for because there's no underlying diagnosis to support it, and these diagnoses must be re-upped every year. Recall what I was just talking about, RE, improper payments and fraud schemes. If a patient isn't diagnosed with something, then why are taxpayers paying for its treatment? Also, risk adjustment. If you want to upcode, it's not a bad idea to have a diagnosis documented multiple different ways so that when the OIG, CMS, DOJ comes knocking, you can have your ducks in a row. Getting patients in for their annual screenings is how you can safely upcode. Further, one more reason why getting patients in for annual screenings matters to MA plans, member experience counts for an increasing piece of star ratings. Patients who never see their doctor and never interact with the plan don't usually give the plan they have nothing to do with stellar marks. And besides that, these members are tough to retain. Last big deal for an MA plan to get members in for their annual is this is when the doc gets into screening for care gaps, which is also part of, uh, of STAR measures. All this about annual screenings is a bit of a sidebar, but it is kind of interesting to contemplate as we get into the conversation today about government oversight. My guest today, as I mentioned earlier, is Betsy Seals. Here's our conversation about how MA plans are in the hot seat right now. Later in the fall, Betsy will be coming back to talk about trends in the Medicare Advantage marketplace. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Betsy Seals, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We've had an administrative change, and this administration is looking carefully at Medicare Advantage plans and what they are up to for all kinds of reasons, including but not limited to Medicare Advantage being called a cash cow and a money machine for plans who are able to do it well. 
I mean, and then you have some of the early forays looking into Medicare Advantage plans, netting some kind of discouraging trends, like it being pretty self-evident that some plans were egregiously, do I want to say, upcoding patients to maximize their reimbursements, among other things. From what I understand, there are three main areas that are really being scrutinized. The first one being sales and marketing practices at MA Medicare Advantage plans. So let's start there if we could. As far as sales and marketing is concerned, what's happening there relative to government oversight? So as an example, if we look at a lot of the activity that's going on with the sales and marketing function within the industry, last year, CMS hit us with this memo that really put a lot more teeth around oversight of sales and marketing organizations and external agents, looking at commercials that were really prevalent in the industry that CMS essentially said were misleading advertising things that are only available in one very competitive area of the country in order to get beneficiaries to call. So we've really seen an evolution in the sales and marketing space since last year to put a lot more kind of strict requirements, protocols, and expectations from a CMS perspective coming down to the Medicare Advantage organizations, and then in turn, the Medicare Advantage organizations slowing that down to their field marketing organizations and their agents. So what we've seen is is the industry really do kind of a course correct based off of the CMS activity that happened right as we were going into the annual election period last fall. And we've seen that continue to tighten and tighten to where now a lot of these field marketing organizations that are third-party marketers, we'll call them, that were used to playing in, in a certain set of rules, which was in large part, I'll say that they felt they were outside of the oversight of CMS or of the Medicare Advantage organizations, now really having to tighten the way that they do business and really up their game when it comes to compliance. Okay, so one of the areas where the government is tightening down on oversight is sales and marketing, as you just said. And you gave the example of some commercial that says that everyone across the country can have transportation to their doctor visits, but that's only available in one small market, right? So like a a potential member prospect, if you will, is thinking that if they sign up, that they're going to get this benefit and they're not. Right. And really what we saw is a combination that was only available in, let's say, Miami-Dade County, right? A Part B premium buy-down, transportation to your doctor, home-delivered meals. If you're advertising that in, let's say, my county in in California, but it's not available, it's only available in, in three counties across the U.S., that is fundamentally misleading. And that's the situation that was happening really for many years within the industry before CMS really put the back down on the industry to ensure that we're overseeing these third-party marketers and requiring them to only represent accurate and complete information within that service area. I can definitely see how that is truly misleading. And yeah, we got government cracking down on sales and marketing. We've also obviously heard a ton about the Office of Inspector General auditing, for example, recouping improper payments. Is that part of this oversight? Absolutely. So we see a lot of focus recouping improper payments of Medicare dollars. And one of those pieces is the OIG audit in the risk adjustment area. All of these audit reports are public knowledge. What we see is using data and analytics to find what would be considered outliers. As an example, in in the area of risk adjustment, you know, one of the outlier kind of codes that we see is a stroke in office. And this is the, the example that my team always likes to use to kind of illustrate the point. 
strokes don't happen in a doctor's office, right? Those items are usually treated within the hospital setting. So really what CMS or OIG or anybody who's taking a look at this function has to do is use good analytics to say, okay, what are these outlier codes where this couldn't have happened here or this wouldn't be paired with this? And where are the outlier organizations within the industry? And that's exactly what the OIG have done. They have a list of a number of codes they're looking at that are kind of high-risk error codes, then going in and auditing those organizations that are outliers. And we see that in all different areas of the business related to risk adjustment functions, even things like looking at prescription drug data and saying, well, I don't see an underlying medical diagnosis that would support this prescription drug, right? This is something that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the analytics just weren't there or the data might have been there, but we hadn't caught up with the data in order for this oversight mechanism to be as advanced as it is today. So we see a lot of activity in that way in all different areas of the business, seeing CMS saying or OIG saying, you're an outlier, prove to me, show me that this stroke happened in the doctor's office. This situation here that we can't forget with Medicare Advantage is the Medicare Advantage plan is administering government dollars. So because of that, and this is kind of the underpinning of I think what you're saying here, if I say that a stroke happened in a doctor's office and therefore I should get a huge reimbursement as a Medicare Advantage plan that I had to pay that claim for that happening, right, then I'm taking money from the federal government for something that likely didn't happen. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about risk adjustment and coding accuracy. But when you look at the fundamentals of it, these are federal dollars. And what we're talking about is federal dollars that were paid when they should not have been paid, right? And that's the the very basics of these OIG audits or even a lot of the CMS risk adjustment auditing activity is ensuring that federal dollars are not being paid inappropriately. And if they have been paid inappropriately, then they have to be returned. What we see is all this focus, of course, on risk adjustment, and there have been a number of high-profile cases that have been well-publicized or where there have been huge amounts of money returned. On one hand, if we're saying, if, if somebody submits that some stroke happened in a doctor's office, which is a great example, the Medicare Advantage plan, I mean, it was the provider that potentially submitted that, right, like in trying to get a higher reimbursement, and then the Medicare Advantage plan just paid it. On one hand, we sort of have a fraud prevention obligation that the government is relying on these Medicare Advantage plans to scrutinize claims and not pay stuff that is obviously incorrect. Let's just give people the benefit of the doubt or fraudulent in certain cases, right? So like that's one sort of category. But then the other category where you're talking about risk adjustment, this is where Medicare Advantage plans will upcode, if I'm understanding this correctly. So like they'll say, this patient has 78 comorbid conditions. And I'm exaggerating for purposes of clarity, but the more comorbid conditions, the higher the risk a patient is. And therefore, the amount of money that the federal government pays per month for that patient goes up. So this is a Medicare Advantage plan who is actually taking in more money per month per patient. So like there can be big dollars here just right up front. A Medicare Advantage plan earns who can successfully upcode patients who don't necessarily need additional care that, you know, if I had 78 comorbid conditions, you'd expect me to need. Like if I actually only have three, you can see that a Medicare Advantage plan might be taking more money than I would have in potential claims. 
So is it in fact two sort of different things that on one hand, it's kind of a administrative problem that these plans are paying claims that they should not be. But then on the other hand, they're actually getting more money from the federal government than they potentially should be to manage patients who aren't actually as sick as claimed. Well, I put it kind of in the same bucket, honestly. So for example, the stroke in office, a lot of that may be just provider education. They may have had somebody who has had a stroke and they may have just used the wrong code. In, in terms of, of the risk adjustment or the chronic conditions that are impacting that beneficiary. So a lot of this is education in the provider setting, but the health plan has a responsibility to catch those issues. So they have a responsibility before they submit for reimbursement to the federal government that they are doing their due diligence and their oversight of their providers to ensure that those codes coming through are accurate. There also has been, as you kind of referenced, an issue with upcoding. There's a number of very well documented and publicized cases that Medicare Advantage organizations have had inappropriate coding practices, we'll say, in order to maximize inappropriately, again, the the conditions that are actually impacting that beneficiary. So there's been a lot here in the risk adjustment realm, not only in, you know, inaccurate or high risk error codes going through for payment without being caught at the health plan level and providers not being re-educated, but there's also been specific initiatives to upcode. And when you say specific initiatives to upcode, you mean that the Medicare Advantage plans themselves have put programs in place where they're making it a corporate goal <laughs> to ensure that they are upcoding with as much vigor as possible. Finding everything, reviewing completely, which then results perhaps in some upcoding practices. And, you know, one of the ways that this was going on was using artificial intelligence. One of the realities here is that one of the biggest uses of artificial intelligence is for risk adjustment. And, you know, you can do that very carefully or you can sort of stretch the limits of it. And I think what some were doing, some Medicare Advantage plans were doing was like somebody somewhere said at some juncture that some patient had something like it was just written in the chart, but wasn't actually validated in any way. Like, you know, eight years ago, something got written down but there was nothing to substantiate it. Somebody wrote down that the patient had diabetes, for example, but like they were never prescribed any medications or et cetera. I think they call it a chart review. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, so so certainly that's part of it. It's it's not straightforward. And certainly coming in from the outside, you know, I'm, I'm a compliance professional for over 20 years, but learning risk adjustment is really quite an outlier when it comes to general compliance knowledge. So I would say, yes, it runs the gamut in terms of a great idea that somebody had a health plan to find codes that were missing that turned out to be not such a great idea because it really didn't pass the rigor that it needed to in order to be legitimate. So so there are all sorts of different things that have happened in the industry. And yes, what you're referring to is like a chart chase when they pull that medical record and try to validate that code. And there's also within risk adjustment, the fact that kind of on 1-1 of each new year, everybody's at ground zero meaning that even if there was a chronic condition that was documented, it has to be documented and captured again. So it's very complicated. It's a very complicated program. And because it, I would say, sits outside of of your general knowledge base of most compliance professionals, what I have seen in the industry is you'll have an organization that is very conservative in terms of their compliance oversight, right? They have performed well in their CMS program audits. And the risk adjustment function, because it sits outside, general compliance oversight functions, there's a lot more risk there that's unknown because it is its own kind of beast. 
So what we're seeing now is a lot more understanding at an executive level of the risk around risk adjustment because of these OIG audits, DOJ investigations, right? A lot of the things that we've seen in the industry. And we're seeing a tightening from the Medicare Advantage organization perspective on this function and more focused around this function to ensure that proper oversight procedures are in place and that somebody doesn't have a great idea to use AI to go find codes or any other type of great ideas that aren't really that great. You mentioned two things which I think are intriguing just now. One of them was the idea that there would be a drug prescribed and paid for when there wasn't a matching diagnosis code. So like someone is taking, I don't know, some expensive specialty pharmacy for something and Mm -hmm. they don't have a condition that would appear to warrant that drug. Why is the government interested in that? And I'm saying that for a couple of different reasons. Number one, because getting diagnosis codes is notoriously tricky. Like there's plenty of people taking some medication who don't necessarily, who've never been diagnosed with like whatever. Like it's just weirdly common from what I understand. So are they looking for this Medicare Advantage plan? It is asking for payment for a drug that was likely never delivered because this patient shouldn't be getting it in the first place. Is that what they're thinking? Or are they thinking that there was some inappropriate something or other that happened? Or like, what's the intent there? I think really there's a couple of things. First of all, looking for fraud, because there are a lot of prescription drug fraud schemes. Also, looking to ensure that this prescription is being used for the use that it was approved for, because in Medicare Advantage, sometimes what they call an off-label use isn't approved under Part D, right? So there's a number of different reasons that they would be looking for it. I think the most interesting thing to me, honestly, was that the government is really becoming very advanced in their use of analytics. This is something that we just never would have seen before, even, even to identify fraud looking at prescription drugs and saying, you know, matching them up on their side to medical diagnosis that they have on file for this same beneficiary and saying, these ones are the outliers. And is there a fraud scheme here? Prove to me that you that we actually have something to justify this prescription. For the first time, from my perspective, CMS is almost ahead in some of their analytics than a lot of the Medicare Advantage organizations. So if this is where CMS is headed, right, in theory, the health plan should have been already doing this looking at their own analytics. This prescription we know is extremely expensive and there are fraud schemes across the nation and doing their own analytics before CMS comes knocking. But because CMS is really advancing their own capabilities, we're sometimes seeing the opposite, that CMS is finding it first. Yeah. So it sounds like, again, there is a lot that could be rolled up into improper payments. One of the flavors of that could just be upcoding and using AI to do these chart reviews that are not substantiated in any way. If just like anyone at any time coded something for a patient that could be used to upcode and therefore enable a Medicare Advantage plan to get more per month for that particular patient. And as you said, there was kind of a lack of understanding amongst Medicare Advantage plan leadership just exactly how risky that was or how untoward it could potentially be. So now, obviously, as soon as the OIG starts scrutinizing things, people become well aware of what the potential legal and regulatory issues are with with stuff like that. That's one flavor. But then the other flavor is just this whole bucket of letting things slip through that the government ultimately winds up paying for, which are potentially question marks. Should this have been, you know, is this fraud or is this something that should not have been 
paid for to begin with, it sounds like. Did I summarize that well? Yep, exactly. Yeah, I would bucket those all into improper payments. Something that was paid for that maybe shouldn't have been, whether it was an education issue, an oversight issue, a fraud scheme, all of that is really a focus in the industry from CMS and from Medicare Advantage organizations as well. Got it. Okay. Now, you you also said something else. If someone is given a diagnosis, that diagnosis has to get re-upped on an annual basis. In other words, if I've been diagnosed with diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis or whatever, you got to validate that once a year. Did I understand that correctly? Yes. And this is actually something that I'd learned about in the last couple of years. So this is why it's so critical that Medicare Advantage beneficiaries go to the doctor. Because if they don't go to the doctor, they can't be risk adjusted. And the same thing, of course, is true of STARS measures, right? If they don't go to the doctors for their annual screening, then that impacts STARS measures. That's why you also see, you know, as a a big circle, so much focus on these social determinants of health and how to get beneficiaries into their doctor and providing transportation to medical appointments and that whole piece. Because not only do we have a much better understanding of social determinants of, of health and how they impact beneficiaries, but we also have to see them to have good STAR measures and to have these beneficiaries risk adjusted as well. More on the importance of patients showing up for their annual visits also in the next show about Medicare Advantage that will come out in a month or two. But the general idea here is that getting patients in for their annual screenings has pros for the MA, the Medicare Advantage business, but it also mitigates the risk of some cons, like the plan getting called in for possible improper payments. When the plan is seen to have paid for a drug, it doesn't seem like the patient should actually even be taking. You know, CMS might construe that as one of those outliers that indicates potential fraud is afoot. So getting audited like this is something that any plan would seemingly want to avoid. Therefore, annual wellness visits become important for all kinds of reasons. But let's get down to what really matters here. Do these audits that we've just spent a bunch of time talking about, do they have any teeth? Some of these plans are massive. Some of them are not. (laughs) We sort of have a market that's comprised of the old guard, right? These ginormous, vertically integrated entities that have stood up Medicare Advantage plans as part of their behemoth operations. And then we have some upstarts that are, are certainly not. So maybe there's two different answers to this. But are they levying fines that really matter? I would say yes, absolutely. Certainly, these audits and the audit findings have teeth. There have been instances where Medicare Advantage plans have been sanctioned as a result of an audit. CMS publishes their civil money penalties on a website. And there's about a million dollars in fines thus far this year in 16 organizations that have been impacted. So is it always going to be crippling that fine to a specific Medicare Advantage organization? No, but it can be because CMS applies their fines based on how many beneficiaries were impacted and set of metrics. So it certainly can have teeth. The biggest penalty is really to be sanctioned. To be out of market for AEP is a huge penalty that we have seen and expect to see more of when there is really egregious noncompliance. And if I am a giant incumbent in this space and I am spending inordinate amounts of money in lobbying and other political pressure, like I still worry that I might be sanctioned? Oh, yes. 
if it's bad enough. Now, I will say that the big five at this point, I would be somewhat surprised if one of them were sanctioned and out of enrollment for an entire season, just because they are fairly experienced. You do have to have a certain level of compliance and compliance oversight. But I would say within the past 10 years, there have been big five that have been sanctioned. So yes, it certainly can happen and it will happen if that non-compliance is egregious enough. Obviously, everything is a risk reward. If the potential booty is, is high enough, then that causes people to make certain decisions about what they are willing to risk. So let's move on to the number three area of government oversight, which you've termed general compliance oversight. What do you see going on there? The number one issue that we see and that as a re- is a result of CMS program audits is issues around appeals and grievances. A denial then turns into an appeal from a beneficiary. But if you have hurdles so that that beneficiary is not getting their denial notices and they don't know how to appeal, right? Then they were impacting their access to their guaranteed rights under the Medicare program. So that is really an area as a general statement that has had a long history of trouble and is is typically one of the main reasons for sanctions and for civil money penalties and for compliance notices is that all of the regulations around either approving medical care or applying appropriate appeals and grievance standards are not met. So yes, I I see that as really a tragic issue in the industry, but one that has been prevalent over decades, as long as I've been in the program and still kind of plagues us even today. Yeah, there was a whistleblower case and what the whistleblower contended was that 65% of the time the patient fails to file an appeal. Yeah. So, right, like that that was just part of the strategy. They had that number. So they were just denying care all over the place because they knew that they could save whatever, 65% just by doing so. Even if the ultimate plan was to, if they did file the appeal to ultimately approve it, they significantly cut expenses by just putting those barriers in place. And that is terrible. You, I will say that I'm not surprised. And I'll also say, you know, I've been in Medicare Advantage for 20 years, but Recently, somebody who is in my own family is a Medicare Advantage beneficiary and was diagnosed with a certain chronic condition. Navigating the Medicare program for this person who's very intelligent, well-educated, was near to impossible. I know the program. And even for me, it was hours and hours and hours and hours on the phone. And so your typical Medicare Advantage beneficiary, yeah, probably will not file that appeal unless they're really well-versed in those requirements, which most are not. So that's an example of one of the trends I see in the industry that that is really tragic. Tragic for the beneficiary, not having access to care, and really a, a terrible kind of decision on the Medicare Advantage organization's part. And I would say, you know, I'd have to I'd take a look at the inner workings of some of those decisions, but those are the kind of things that we see sometimes when we go in and work with organizations that we really focus on turning around as quickly as possible, we'll say. So in sum, we have increasing government oversight in three areas. As we just talked about, we've got increasing government oversight in sales and marketing, number one, number two, in recouping improper payments, either improperly paid claims or improper risk adjustments and upcoding. And then lastly, number three, we've got your just run of the mill, normal compliance stuff, like making sure that there's proper like oversight into proper grievance procedures, et cetera. Betsy, is there anywhere you would direct people to learn more about Rebellus Group? 
Yes, definitely. Our website, rebellusgroup.com. We have a blog where we go over relevant or interesting things happening in the industry. So definitely would encourage folks to subscribe to our newsletter, take a look at our blog and keep in touch. Betsy Seals, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you, Stacey. It's been a pleasure. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.